Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello. This was probably a nice surprise. Because you're subscribed. And now you have a new episode of Fascinated to listen to. So your day is either made or ruined. Depending on how you felt about the last one. This week is all about one of my favourite TV shows. It's Cagney and Lacey. I am a massive fan. And by massive fan, I mean I've probably watched the whole series about twice. Because I think anything beyond that, you're going to conventions and you're dressing up as them and I just think that's not on. I chat to Barney Rosenzweig, the man who dreamed it up, produced it and kept it on the air when Hollywood had given it up for dead. Personally, I wouldn't have had the patience, but this was a man fighting for his passion project. Also, I'll be chatting to comedian Maeve Higgins, who I bullied into watching it. Now, Cagney and Lacey has taught me a lot of life lessons, but the main one is never underestimate the power of a cheesy theme tune. Hello, you are very welcome to this episode of Fascinated. This week, I'll be talking about the ladies. I grew up in a house with loads of sisters, so this has somewhat skewed my understanding of feminism. As a boy, I would dream of a day when men would overthrow their female oppressors, a day when men and women would be equal and men wouldn't have to go to work either. As far as I could see, women were overrunning us. The evidence was everywhere. Even male superheroes like Batman and Superman had to suffer that indignity of wearing their underpants outside their trousers, while Wonder Woman got to strut around in her swimming togs looking fantastic. I now realise I had it wrong. Very wrong. In fact, the only thing I seemed to have got right was I chose my TV viewing well. Cagney and Lacey was a show about two New York women who happened to be cops. But things were very different for them. When they worked late, Lacey would frantically arrange a babysitter or call her husband and tell him what was in the freezer. Cagney would break up with boyfriends, look after her elderly father and navigate all of the attractions of her co-workers. Sometimes the criminal even got away and they would take this in their stride too. These characters were deeply flawed but they were the heroes and they were real and recognisable. It wasn't until I watched it again in my 20s that I realised the significance of this very special show. From then on, whenever I got the opportunity, I would bully unsuspecting friends into watching it. One of my victims was Irish comedian Maeve Higgins. The reason you're here is, because um, this episode's all about Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think, one of the best TV programmes ever, ever made. Do you, do you wholeheartedly agree with that? Uh, what a leading question. <laughs> yeah, I do. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely one of the best shows made. Yeah, totally. Especially in the 80s. Like, you know. In the context. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I think there's there's probably better TV shows that have been made in the last few years. But I think, um, yeah, when I was growing up, it was right up there. Totally. And even watching it back now. It does stand up, doesn't yeah. it? I think what happens sometimes is that vintage telly, there's programmes that you watch when you were younger and then you go back to them and they're completely ruined by something very, very trivial. 
you know, like the yeah. costume or, you know, hammy dialogue or something like that. And then yeah, that's with Highway to Heaven. Like, I remember absolutely loving it. And that meant a lot to me when I was a little kid. And then watching it back now, it is so overly sentimental and maudlin and corny and all those things. But then when I watched Cagney and Lacey, like the most recent time when, when we watched it together, um, yeah. I, none of that struck me. It did. There was no false notes. Like, it was all pretty... Um, maybe because it was so progressive, I don't know. But the, the I guess good writing. Um, yeah, and it just and it engaged you. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. it's really weird because I there's something really possessive I think about me and Kanye like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I always feel a really big part of it. <laughs> like I'm responsible. I'm responsible for bullying people into watching it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I kind of did that. The way I remember the conversation about Kanye and Lacey coming up was when I supported you on tour. So we were yeah. in these endless car journeys because I was insisting that the sat-nav was correct <laughs> <laughs> and that we should follow it blindly and that it always takes eight hours to get from Carrick and Shannon to Roscommon. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, we had some really long trips. Yeah. And you, at the time, you were reading lots of books about feminism. Yeah. So there was loads of conversations about that. And my response to that was always, well... If you want feminism, <laughs> you need look no further than Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> yeah. Which I think you would be sceptical if somebody said that to you. But I think in the context of its time, it was one of the beacons of feminism. Yeah, I think so too. And you're right. I had sort of discounted it as like an example to hold up. And like, I guess when I'm trying, when I try and educate myself about feminism, I look to literature, you know, and I look to, yeah. rather than looking to TV, probably because there's not that many great examples. In your book, there's a story called uh, Meanwhile in a Delhi Uptown. And you mentioned that the only reference to feminism in your, your education was in your secondary school, there was a poster. Yeah. Um, that was it. There was, I went to an all-girls school. Such a great opportunity to, you know, get us all there. I mean, I actually have mixed feelings about separating the sexes. But anyway, I went to an all-girls school and the only reference to feminism was this stupid poster in the hall that said, um, there was a picture of Fred Astaire's and Ginger Rogers and it was like, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire's, uh, Fred Astaire did, except backwards and in heels. <laughs> Which is such a confusing message to get. Because you're like, so should, should I wear, is that better? Like to do it backwards and heels? Is this good? Are those good? You know, like, yeah. so oblique and dumb. And like, um, I just, like, I'm. it's so good that there were at least these little flickers of, you know, just these examples. Like you can't, yeah. learning by, you know, even being told about it. But if you see something on TV or if you, you know, taking it in that way. It's just so, it's just so healthy, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think pe- people like to see themselves on television. You know, they engage with that. Yeah, and you can even think like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, oh, that's a possibility. Because otherwise it doesn't occur to you. It's weird, actually, because I always feel like an imposter when I'm talking about anything like this. Like, because I grew up with loads of sisters. I never thought of them as something different. I always thought, well, if I'm going to have to work, why the hell shouldn't they? Like, you were looking at the world of work and seeing that it was the men that did the work, but not understanding why. So you were like a <laughs> an accidental feminist or Yeah, something. completely accidental. I mean, when I found out what it was, I was absolutely <laughs> raging. <laughs> and I definitely would say, like, I remember seeing Cagney Lacey for the first I wasn't aware of it as, like, a you know, a show that made a statement. I was just like, oh, these are cool characters and they've got deadly storylines like it's just yeah. an enjoyable you know like stupid cop show in a lot of ways um, yeah absolutely you know yeah. before it is before you realise that there's this other message and then when you watch it again like when you and I watched it again um, after we had talked about it like in the context of like you know wow these are you know this is actually like quite a statement 
then it was amazing to see all the messages coming through and to see the issues that they clearly tackled issues like you know that's what they were doing at the time I used to also watch things like the A-Team mm. and Knight Rider and all of those things where they would just spray bullets you know, like <laughs> yeah. were, anytime anyone did anything wrong there was like machine guns out and then there was an episode of Cagney and Lacey where Lacey shoots somebody at, at a bank not a teller or anything, like just <laughs> like she, she she shoots somebody in a, in a big you know action scene yeah and then for the rest of the episode is completely distraught absolutely destroyed wow. by you know what she has had to do and and that did crop up a number of times and it, it does kind of take the wind out of the action yeah but you know because you're kind of going oh wow a real person just died maybe it was but for me the 80s weren't about that you know i mean if you yeah, look back like, it's all... say like starsky and hutch like i know that's a bit earlier but like that was you know comparable in that it was like you know partners cops yeah, you know guys. and it was totally like there's not a hope that they would ever <laughs> yeah. press any bit further into the like the moral meaning of you know like a policeman shooting a you know robber or whatever like there's yeah. not a chance you know i mean they didn't ever set out to do that but it's interesting that cagney and lacy like you said, like they did set out to do that. Like they were like, no, we're going to really look at things. Yeah, we're going to examine it and like pull it apart a little bit and yeah. like, pick at the threads. It's quite courageous of them, you know, because yeah. it's obviously a lot easier to be like, bang, bang, what's next? <laughs> yeah. You know. In 1981, Barney Rosenzweig's idea for a buddy movie starring two women was finally commissioned as a TV movie of the week. It starred Loretta Swift from MASH and stage actress Tyne Daly. But Barney was warned this was a TV movie and nothing more. However, due to huge ratings, CBS was keen to rush a series into production. They cast Meg Foster as Cagney and Tyne Daly again as Lacey. The series aired inheriting a huge audience from Magnum PI, but the network was surprised when in a time of no remote controls, 14 million people got up out of their armchair and crossed the room to turn the show off. The series had tanked and the horrified network pulled it off the air after its third episode. Insult was added to injury when an unnamed executive at CBS, when commenting on the feminist nature of the show and the failure of the series, said in the press, Cagney and Lacey seem more intent on fighting the system than doing police work. We perceive them as dykes. Barney went to CBS and argued that they air one final episode in a later time slot and sweetened the deal by saying he would personally foot the bill for all of the promotional budget. The episode aired, the ratings improved and Barney got a second chance with one deal breaker. Fire Meg Foster and recast the role of Cagney, which he reluctantly agreed to do. He replaced her by successfully wooing the Cagney that we all know and love, Sharon Gless. But this was no easy task. Sharon Gless was very reluctant to replace another actress. She had recently replaced Lynn Redgrave on House Calls, after Lynn Redgrave's contract negotiations broke down because she wanted to breastfeed her newborn child on set. Welcome to 1982, people. Even though House Calls was very obviously struggling in the ratings, Sharon Gless wasn't interested in playing a cop. She had tried it before and it hadn't worked out, so her agent, Monique James, was keeping Barney at bay. CBS had come to him again and said, we will let you have a third shot at Cagney and Lacey at the recasting of Cagney. So, Barney flies to New York and he waits outside the meeting where they announce their new lineup. And he's standing there and the president of CBS said, no Barney, nothing, I'm not telling anything. Because they're about to make the announcements to the press, they wouldn't tell him. He said, just tell me one thing. 
I don't need to know who your new fall schedule. Tell me, I just need to know one thing. Is house calls on it? And they said, no. He said, thank you. And he called Monique. He said, Monique, this is Barney Rosenzweig. I'm calling for the third time to invite Sharon Gless to play Cagney and Cagney and Lacey. She said, I told you, Barney, dear, Sharon is in a series. He said, bet my ass she's in a series. She just got canceled. I didn't like him. He, I don't remember him telling me, you know, how hard he tried to get me, and I'm sure he did say those things. He's not, you know, an insensitive man. But the thrust of the lunch was Barney just telling me how hard I'd have to work and am I up to it. And for some reason, I took exception to that. And he just kept telling me, yes, but you don't know what hard work is. You just don't know. I said, excuse me, but I do. I don't think you do. And I just went, who is this guy? So when I left the luncheon, we went outside, and Monique said, so what do you think? I said, I don't want to do it. And she said, now, Sweet Pea, I think we should rethink this. I said, you said I didn't have to do it. All I do is have to have lunch with these people. <laughs> she said, I know that's what I said, but I think we need to rethink this, and I want to have a talk with you about it. I said, well, I don't like the guy with the beard. That was Barney Rosenzweig. I, I married him 10 years later. So the rest is history. Even though Barney found his perfect Cagney, he still had a fight on his hands. After this first season, the show was again cancelled. An Emmy for Time Daily caused reruns to get good numbers, and new and existing fans began to write to Barney to complain about the show's cancellation. And Barney wrote back, Send your complaint to CBS. So these fans wrote again. They didn't click links or likes or send emails. They put pen to paper and bought stamps. And this avalanche of mail from angry viewers caused the network to go back to Barney and say, we have made a terrible mistake. Please, can you put this back together? But at this point, the sets were burned and nobody had a contract. But a year later, CBS ran a massive ad campaign in the national press saying, you want them, you got them. And Cagney and Lacey began a run of success littered with awards and accolades. For the duration of the series, no other actress got near the Emmy for Best Actress, and Barney Rosenzweig became the poster boy for the women's movement. The nice thing about having this show is that I can be as definitive as I like, and you can keep The Wire, Dexter and The West Wing. Cagney and Lacey is the finest piece of television that has ever been produced. Actresses Sharon Gless and Tyne Daly have had enough praise for it. So today we have on the line with us from California the man who created it, produced it, revived it and oversaw every piece of it from the very first pilot to the eventual release of the DVDs. His book Cagney, Lacey and Me describes the journey and it is no wonder that this man retired. Barney Rosenzweig, it is a privilege to speak to you. How are you? Well, that's a very, I'm fine. Better now having heard that introduction. Thank you. It's much deserved. You, you are the one person in the world who I will accept knows more about Cagney and Lacey than I do. You are the only person that will ever hear these words, Barney. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'll, I'll accept that challenge. Okay. <laughs> you sound like you're pretty well up on it. I'm very well up on it. But the thing, that unfortunately, that we have to uh, remember is that uh, some of the people listening to the podcast may not be the, as well up as we are on, on Cagney and Lacey. So how would you describe it to those ignoramuses? Ah, I haven't had to pitch this show for a long time, you understand. But uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, we used to say it's a show about two women who happen to be cops, not two cops who happen to be women. 
And it is, uh, in its time, certainly it was a groundbreaking series in terms of, of uh, women's roles in television and in the workforce. And uh, I think that uh, I would emphasize that more than anything else, the fact that it, it wasn't so much a feminist show as a, it was a humanist show. You know, in the days before Cagney and Lacey, if you went into a network to pitch a show, uh, you'd come in with a gimmick. You'd say, you know, it's about a private eye, but he's blind, you know, and that would be yeah. the, the, the weenie, as they said, that got the thing made. And after Cagney and Lacey, the network executives would ask, yeah, yeah, that's all interesting, but is he married, or does he have children, and what's going on at home, you know, all that kind of, what's happening while he's, when he's not working? And that's what we really changed in television. That, before Cagney and Lacey didn't exist, I often say that the difference between uh, and Stephen Bochco, by the way, is a is a is a hero of mine, a guy who I think is a really a fine fine writer and producer in television. He made two great shows, uh, at least, and uh, Hill Street Blues and uh, NYPD Blue. And the difference between those two shows really is Cagney and Lacey, because Cagney and Lacey came in between those two shows, and and NYPD Blue is uh, Cagney and Lacey and drag. So it humanized these characters that people... Exactly, exactly. That's that's what we did more than feminize. Although, in the days before Cagney and Lacey, it was rare. If you saw a woman on television in a police show, uh, she was a, uh, a secretary or she was, uh, she was uh, I don't know, some kind of a volunteer or or possibly a, 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 a jail matron. Uh, uh, once... The idea that she could have a job equal to the men's would be... Was, 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 now we see it all the time. We don't think anything of it. But that would never happen before Cagney and Lacey. I, I once uh, read a quote from Time Daily who said that at the time, women, um, the the roles they were offered were clowns and sidekicks, which I thought was very succinctly put. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. I remember vividly when we were initially casting uh, the series uh, to, for the for the, trying to find uh, women who uh, uh, to do these parts, and you would interview various uh, young women and they would say oh yes I was the lead in so and so because I'd ask them may I see some of your work here I'm sorry please forgive me I'm not familiar with with, uh, with your work can you recommend something for me to see and they say oh yes I was the lead in so and so and you'd go watch this movie and they were in it for eight minutes you know they, 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 were, they were the nurse or they were the mother or they were the, the wife or the girlfriend and, and they were sidekicks you know not, a, not, even, not even upgraded to a sidekick you know Firstly, Cagney and Lacey was massively successful, but how did the series actually come about? The beginnings of it were far from, it was far from easy. No, that's true. I, 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 was, um, um, uh, I was dating a woman at the time who ultimately became uh, Mrs. Rosenzweig, the second Mrs. Rosenzweig, uh, Barbara Corday, who was a writer. And uh, she was determined to, uh, to uh, teach me about feminism, which I knew nothing about, and gave me a, a lot of books to read. Uh, Betty for Dan and things like that, you know, Feminine Mystique. But one of the books she gave me was a book called From Reverence to Rape, The Treatment of Women in the Movies by Molly Haskell. And I recommend it to you and to anyone uh, who's interested in uh, in television and in motion pictures. Even today, uh, at that time, it was like a textbook of of uh, history of the films and why uh, they, the way they portrayed, portrayed women and the biases that we, as people who watch those shows, Became part of our became part of our own psyches because we were educated by these people who were making these movies. Um, and uh, it said in there, in effect, there has never been a Paul Newman Robert Redford movie for women. There's never been a movie where women were equals but sidekicks. 
as opposed to the strong woman and the and the bitchy gal, you know. But there was always, uh, there was never that kind of a relationship. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Why don't we try to make one? So I went to Barbara, who was then uh, working with a, 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 her, her partner, Barbara Avedon, and I discussed this idea with them, and we all then went forward and tried to get it. But it was very, we were going to make it as a movie. In fact, the original title was Newman and Redford. Oh, wow. We wanted to, we wanted to let people know that it was really uh, was a, was a, a, a takeoff on all these buddy movies that were being made that were proliferating all over from Hollywood, you know, Freebie and the Bean, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, all those kind of movies that were going on everywhere. So, um, uh, but the legal department said you can't do that. You, know, you may get sued by either Paul Newman or Robert Redford, <laughs> so call it something else. So that eventually became called Cagney and Lacey. Um, but we had a her- terrible time trying to get it made. Nobody believed it. The men in Hollywood, the very same, the, 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 the offspring, if you will, of the people who had created the mythology about w- the roles of women in our society to begin with, looked at it and believing their own mythology said, I don't believe two women could do this. I don't believe women talk this way. I don't believe women relate to each other this way. They had this, this, uh, their own feminine mystique. Which is that a woman is only a woman until she isn't a woman until she's had a child. A woman, uh, women will be competitive with one each other. They can't be friends. It was really a, a, a unbelievable kind of um, uh, rejection that we received from every quarter. And then ultimately, Barbara Corday said to me, Barney, I think the, the, the women's movement has passed you by. You better try to move on this. Try to get it on television because you're never going to make a movie out of it. And that's what we basically did. And and that's how it was. It then that you decided to plug it in as a cop show. Um, no, it was always a cop show from from day one. We we were we were commercially attuned, you know. And when I I had to raise money to get the script done and everything, and I and I went to my friend Ed Feldman, who was then the the uh, president of a company called Filmways, uh, which had had some small successes in the in the, in television and in motion pictures, including a movie called Freebie and the Bean. Uh, uh, no, it wasn't Freebie and the Bean, excuse me, I'll take that back. I forget the name of the movie. It was a movie with Burt Reynolds uh, in the a cop show with a, with a buddy. It may have been, well, I don't now remember, I'm sorry, so many years ago. But I went to him and I said, look, I said, told him this story that I told you about there's never been a buddy movie for women. And I did a whole background thing on why I thought it would work and, 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 uh, and how, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, this was an opportunity to get on a new idea. And I and we agreed that we would make it a cop show that that, that we we would give it some kind we would we would we were going to emulate what we were seeing in other buddy movies, and Freebie of the Bean was was in fact at that time I think with James Caan I, if I remember right and maybe Alan Alda, and um, that difference Alda, was the other Alda. and that difference just was they were women that was really it and I was just try, I was I was I didn't want to you know I wasn't trying to make anything more than really kind of a uh, a parody if you will it didn't occur to me until much later in the game that we were on to something here that had ongoing potential. And the show, if you look at it today, you see it growing. You see the idea uh, maturing and uh, evolving into the Cagney and Lacey that it ultimately became. Uh, I, I, I think there's nothing wrong, really, with those first uh, dozen episodes, but they get better and better as you go along looking through the, uh, through the library. One of the startling things about the show is that um, if you watch it today, and I've recently had this experience where I was on holidays in uh, in Gran Canaria a couple of weeks ago, and there was a channel that just showed eighties eighties uh, TV shows, and the when you watch them, you watch them for different reasons because you know they're campy and they're vintage, and Cagney and Lacey just 
it just doesn't fall into that net. When you watch it today, it really endures. I mean, it hits all of the exact same marks. And is there a reason for that? I appreciate you saying that. I I think that's the good news and the bad news. Uh, The good news is that the issues we talked about are still current and still interesting and still uh, still entertaining and, and, and informative. The bad news is the issues that we touched on are still around and still uh, uh, still new to us because a lot of the world's problems haven't been solved. Sure. And the the chemistry between Sharon Gless and Tyne Daly, who obviously, I mean, I can't believe we're 11 minutes into the interview and I haven't mentioned them because they are two of the, they're just incredible actresses. I mean, when you put them together, that chemistry was unbelievable. Did you see that right away? Is that something that, because I know... Yes, as Char- a matter of fact, I, I, it, it, was, it was almost unmistakable. Uh, a few people missed it, very few, but most of us got it right away when we saw them. You know, Sharon Gless was our third Cagney. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we, we were aware of what chemistry could mean to the show and, what, and, what we, and that we hadn't had it. Um, yeah. So when, when, you know, when Sharon came on uh, to the series, uh, it was... It was like a like a like you know a, a, like a light going on you know like like, like the windows uh, the, the shutters being opened up and and it was but there wasn't unanimous agreement we got a few uh, kind of strange notes from the network at the time I remember and and, and Barbara Corday and uh, a woman who was working for me at the time April Smith who was one of the writers uh, took uh, Sharon to lunch saying they didn't think she was being uh, she was too emotional they thought they wanted her to be colder Barbara said I wrote I wrote her colder than you're playing her you know and. Uh, I knew about this luncheon, but I didn't know that they were going to be that tough on her. And but to Sharon's credit, she just looked at him and said, "Fellows, you know, I, you know, this is this is what I do. You know, uh, thank you very much for the lunch, but uh, I, I don't <laughs> but go to, away. I, I don't know how to I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do." And she left and called her manager and said, "I think I'm going to be fired." And the manager called me and said, "There's a what's going on?" And I said, "Nothing's going on." She says, "Well, what's this thing about the lunch?" I said, "I think the women just wanted to take." Sharon, they said, oh, no, no, they were very critical. So I went in to see Sharon, and I said, look, I said, I don't know what you've heard, but do nothing different than you're doing. I'm telling you, this is working. This is golden. So there were, some, there were a couple of naysayers, but for the most part, everybody saw it. And, uh, and uh, it was very, very instantaneous. And Sharon, of course, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a story I like to tell that happened about the, uh, about the second or third episode she was doing with us. Now, you have to understand, she had been, you know... Uh, she had not. Well, let's see. That was it was the fourteenth episode. Excuse me. We were well into the into the series with her. Now we were, we had done yeah. a dozen episodes, and um, uh, I thought it was a seminal moment if, uh, in, in this series where we were doing this show about um, uh, the inappropriateness of uh, what it was really about the theme of it was the inappropriateness of sexual humor in the workplace. Yeah. And and underneath this show was uh, was a story about a date rape. A woman who had been uh, assaulted by a man who she was seeing socially, and a man who she knew, and a man who she had invited into her home, and so there was a conflict uh, between the two women, as there often was, about you know how they saw their work, and they were walking through the precinct in a brisk fashion, lacy tailing after Cagney, while they're arguing, and, and Cagney's position was, "This is social work. This is this is silly. You know, this is, if we wouldn't be, if we weren't women, we wouldn't have been assigned to this case." You know, yeah. the guys are getting uh, the robberies and burglaries and 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 and, and uh, kidnappings, and we've got this. And Lacey was saying, "No, this is the very kind of work we should be doing." And while the arguments in 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 process, the other men in the precinct are are, are watching them and listening to them, and they kind of gather around the the desks of the two women. 
And uh, as Becky says something like, you know, what's a guy supposed to do? A woman's she says no, no, but there's yes, yes in her eyes. You know, how do you know? And um, the lieutenant says, you know, my wife's favorite movie was Gone with the Wind. So how come when Rhett Butler takes Scarlet up those stairs, that's romance, but when another guy does it, it's rape? And Lacey looks at him and says, begging your pardon, Lieutenant, but if you don't know the difference between rape and romance, you have a serious problem. And she walks away. And the guy's all, ooh, that's a tough thing for her to say to her boss. And one of the guys, the sergeant, says, wow, her time of the month or what? You know, an appropriately, an inappropriate sexual comment in the workplace, okay? Yeah. And at that moment, while we were filming this thing, Sharon Glass says, wait a minute, I want to say something. This guy, I don't have a line of dialogue here. This guy just insulted my partner. I want to, I'm John Wayne, I want to say something, you know? And normally what would happen in that moment is everybody would stop and the director would yell, get me a writer down here, and the writer would come, you know, be summoned yeah to come up with a line for the leading lady. She's demanded a line. She, she, she's right. She, she should say some kind of capper to this thing. Yeah. And stop, you know, and, and uh, what could it be? God, it's got to be something like make my day. It's got to be something wonderful that everybody will remember. Hmm. And except in this case, I was there on the set watching what was going on, which is I usually wouldn't be right there at the moment. But I said, I would lean over to Sharon, who I barely knew. We had only begun working together for maybe six weeks or so. Hmm. And, um, I said, do you know what Cagney wants more than anything? And Sharon shook her head, no, she didn't. I said, she wants to be one of the boys. She wants to be in the club. So that's why when Coleman insults her partner, not only doesn't Cagney say anything, but I am going to see to it that we have a close-up of you not saying anything. Oh, wow. She's really, that was a big moment for Sharon. That's interesting, she said. So we did it that way. And of course, the next day, every day from then on, she was coming and she says, tell me something else is wrong with her. (laughs) And it it was so important at the time because, you know, up until then, television heroes were heroes. You didn't, they didn't have flaws. Yes. We we started doing this thing where she was, she, she had feet of clay. And that's we came. We came focusing on that more and more and more, making it deeper and richer as a character. And of course, uh, uh, Sharon just enjoyed playing all that stuff more than anything. And but wh- the, the trick is, you not only have to know your character well enough to explain that to the actor, but you also have to be powerful enough so that when she sees the show three weeks later on the air, that close-up is there. Yeah, of course. <laughs> because if, if it had to be, then well, you know. That I've just lied to her, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that I've, that's one of my favorite stories, and it, because it's, it was so important to the relationship between the two women. It was so important to really in the in the in the, in the way the television series was constructed from then on. From that point on, we were in a uh, in a uh, in, on a on a course that uh, it inextricably took us to the kind of. A recognition we began to get with Emmys and, and awards and all of this. Sort of thing. Uh, th- there was so much of it that, like you said, there were those little things, those little seeds sown. Um, and the the date rape issue came up again when actually the character of Cagney was raped. Which that's uh, right. I mean that th- for the hero to become the victim like that 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 like, had that ever been done on television before? I oh mean, yes, yeah, that had been done. In fact, we tried we tried very hard to avoid it. We made the women victims two or three times in the show. Uh, Lacey most famously getting uh, breast cancer 
and uh, and then the thing with Cagney and the DRA, but also Cagney in a uh, well, was less of a victim, but there was a situation where Cagney was uh, sexually harassed in the workplace, and 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 uh, it it it. it Stopped the possibility of promotion for her, but, but we tried not to make the victims. Traditionally, that's what women played in, in, in American television and American films were the but, victims, and so we we really worked against that. But where we felt we had an obligation to say, look, this thing, this sort of thing does happen, and we want to show that if it could happen to to Christine Cagney, then it could happen to anybody. If it could happen to a woman who is not only a strong woman, but trained to defend herself and is armed. Yeah, you know, yeah. and still happens, and people don't believe her. Then we can really, you know, that it's really it'll help other people, you know, understand the, the depth of this problem. And the same thing was true in the Lacey case. I remember very specifically, we had a policy at uh, Cagney and Lacey that we played the important, powerful roles in the show uh, that were oftentimes uh, uh, that in, in society rather that appeared in our show, like judges and uh, uh, politicians. We often, almost always, portrayed as women. We gave women those positions of power uh, in the background, if you will. When it became time for when we decided to do a show where uh, Mary Beth Lacey has breast cancer, I said to the writing staff, "By the way, I said I don't want the the, the do- her doctor to be a woman," and they were all kind of surprised at that because naturally this important part would be played by you know, as, as all these. I said, "No," I said, "I want her to be a man." But I, I want the, the doctor to be a man, but not only a man, but the least attractive male we could find <laughs> in the entire Screen Actors Guild. And the reason for that was, I said, you know, women are going to see this show not just in New York and Los Angeles or in London or in the capitals of the world. They're going to yeah. be seeing it in, you know, in, 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 in smaller communities where the kind of doctor they can get, because they don't want them to look at the show and say, oh, well, you know, yeah, sure, uh, uh, Ty Daly gets to see a doctor like that, but I don't, you know, I have to see a different kind of doctor. I have to see my my doctor, who's yeah. not nearly as as good looking or as interesting or as smart or as progressive. You know, I want to say, no, this guy's just an ordinary guy. Lacey's a working class woman, and she goes to a doctor she's been going to, you know, before. And and so that's what. And I wanted him to know that it wasn't a matter of having some kind of a glamorous character you could go to, but rather uh, it was every day and it was ordinary. Exactly. Exactly. The, you, you've raised the, the the issue of the cancer, which what was brilliant about this was the the lumpectomy, which was re- recommended for Lacey in the episode. That was before its time. That was something that came yes. out after Cagney and Lacey had aired with that story. That's spectacular. I, I wanted to kind of yeah. prod you on on that because was it two weeks after the episode aired that a medical journal actually came out? Yeah, the, the AMA's, uh, you know, the American Medical Association, New England Journal of Medicine, I guess it was, came out with that news. We knew about it. Because uh, at the time, because one of the top oncologists in Southern California was married to Barbara Avedon. And it was Barbara Avedon's idea that we do this show and uh, this episode. Uh, although she didn't get to finally write it, we had another, uh, Pat Green wrote this, the episode and got an Emmy for it. But the idea of, of that information we got from Barbara Avedon before it was public knowledge. And... Uh, uh, we had we did a lot of things like that where we were in the forefront. I mean, we were the first people to mention uh, uh, to be allowed on television, American television, for uh, uh, to, to talk about condoms, you know, uh, and safe sex. Because uh, Lacey had a young boy who was starting to date, and Lacey was worried about it. She she wanted her husband to talk to him about such things, and he was embarrassed. He says he got she, she brought up the word condoms. We did it with uh, we did it with smoking. 
you know, we were talking about uh, we had Lacey quit smoking, uh, who was a very serious smoker on television uh, uh, before the Surgeon General in America came out and saying it was uh, cancer causing. So we we were we were paying attention. Uh, you know, I, I've often talked about the show saying, you know, we, this was a show about two intelligent women who read the newspapers. And yeah. so they had ideas, they had attitudes, you know, they, they, and, they, and, they, and they paid attention to, uh, to uh, what was going on in, their, in, their, in not only their own lives, but in the lives of their community and in society in general. Do, do you and, think that... Uh, and, 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 and the other thing I would say about them, which was, I think was the cornerstone of the series, was that had they met for the first time in an elevator... And no one introduced them. They've been standing. Around. They would have never spoken to each other. <laughs> they were not. They were not. Uh, 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 they were not. Com- they, well, they weren't instantly compatible. They, no, no, of course, they, and they weren't even friends. You know, they became, they were partners. They were put into business together, and they were they came from different social economic backgrounds. You know, Lacey was a working class woman who was married with uh, to a to a uh, to a construction worker uh, with two children. And uh, and late, and Cagney came from a family that was a, a divorced family, where uh, her her father was a was a was a police officer. That's why she had always wanted to be a cop. But her mother was from an upper class uh, background, and uh, she had she came from some money, and uh, she was single, and she was she was very interested in what she you know clothing and dating, and she was uh, aggressively healthy heterosexual woman in the days before. Uh, AIDS, so you know there were, uh, her interests and her and her social life were totally out of uh, Lacey's sphere, and and so the point is is that they're different. They came to the work, they came to the the situations in their lives from different positions, and therefore we had that essential ingredient in any good drama, which is conflict. In this case, conflict between the principals. They didn't always agree about everything. In fact, they rarely agreed about anything. And it was that and conflict so could, that kind, it kind yeah. of made it universal because you were, you were seeing both views of it, really, because they were so different. Yeah, very often, that, very often that was true. There were certain things on which they did agree, of course. For instance, uh, a woman's right to uh, choose uh, was... Uh, we did an episode about uh, abortion clinics being bombed and Cagney and Lacey were assigned to the case. And in that case, they both came out on the same side. And in fact, the network called us and said, "You can't do that. You know, you got to you got to have balance. You know, you can't." I said, Look, "I said, we'll do what we can to balance this show. I understand. I want to have the other side represented, and we'll get the most interesting, attractive people to represent uh, a point of view about abortion and the right to life. But there is no way in the world that Cagney or Lacey will betray the seventy percent of American working women who believe in." Uh, a right to the right to choose. So in that case, they both keep out on the same side. What, my my obligation here is to entertain, not to uh, not to be fair. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's very noticeable in the series is that they were allowed. They were they were kind of given the license uh, in situations to actually look like death. They like they could look very badly, even while attempting to look good. If, like, I watched an episode recently, the Choices episode, where they are in the bathroom. Uh, Cagney is crying because she thinks she's pregnant. But right. but she's very, she's dressed very glamorously uh, because she's she's at work. They're going to go to court. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Court. And the but she looks, 
uh, terrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean, as the the actress was allowed to look, ter- look terrible. I mean, so many times uh, when you see, you know, somebody on, te- well, women on television, when you see a woman on television, somebody says, my God, you look terrible. And then the camera turns to them and they actually don't. <laughs> they look, they look like they're on their way <laughs> out for an evening. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, it, and of course, in the in the later episodes, that uh, the uh, the two parter we did with Sharon in the alcoholism thing, and the, the two parter we did with Lacey in the and the uh, breast cancer thing, they they, they both looked uh, pretty dreadful in those shows. No makeup, no uh, no attempt to to gloss over anything or or to give them favorable lighting. It was um, uh, the women were willing to do that. They wanted to do what they could to you know to they they were they were they they would do and sacrifice almost anything for their craft. They were both uh, uh, wonderfully uh, uh, professional and uh, and inspirational to work with, really. Do you, do you think that some of your good work has been undone? At the time, when Cagney and Lacey was in its heyday, uh, around mid-80s, uh, following on from that, there was Murder, She Wrote came in 84, The Golden Girls came in 85, and like at that time, there would have been seven women between the ages of 40 and 60 anchoring primetime shows. That seems to be very different today. I mean, it, it was it, the hoopla that surrounded Bridesmaids, it, it was a new thing for women to be anchoring a film, and it was a new, it, it just felt very regressive. Do you, so, do you sometimes feel that? Well, yes, I, I think that the, you know, there are times where, uh, you know, certainly when uh, there was a show called... Uh, Ali McGraw, I guess, was the name. Of, I, that was the character. I'm not sure that was the name of the show or, or whether that was the character name. And there are times where I see shows like that. I think, my God, you know, it's like we were never on, you know. But I do, then again, I see shows like Homeland, uh, uh, The Good Wife, on CBS now. Uh, here in America, I don't know if the other shows of I'm sure The Good Wife and show and and, and Homeland have both made it to uh, to Ireland by now. Hopefully. Yeah, oh, they have absolutely. They're yeah, they're fabulous shows. And 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 uh, Newsroom which is the new Sorkin show on uh, HBO. Uh, there's, there's things that give me a great deal of hope. There's a lot of great television. I think this is probably right now the golden age of television uh, in America. And, I, and, I, and, uh, I, and at the time, I thought we were doing pretty much the same thing when I was doing television. We had, we had St. Elsewhere and Hill Street Blues and my show and uh, uh, 30-something. Those were all, I thought, really... Uh, and, and, and as I think you pointed out, uh, Murder, She Wrote, which was... A different kind of a show, a little, a little, yeah, it was cozy, uh, a little lighter weight, if you will. But it was yeah. still, you know, it was a good show. Uh, we did some good stuff there. But today's television, I, 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 I'm, even though I'm, I'm not a part of it, my ego allows me at this point to step back and say these people today are doing fabulous work. Some of them are, are a little, are a couple of them are proteges of mine. I'm happy to say, but <laughs> but most of them are people I don't know, and they're doing fantastic work. Um, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and I, I was I was flattered to hear it, but I, I don't think I agree with you. I don't know if we could we made a show in the same league as uh, as West Wing, which was I thought fantastic. Oh, I thought and, I, uh, they're all they're all they're all incredible shows. But I think yeah, that they you didn't mention my favorite show ever, by the way, which I think more people should look at. I don't think it was it was terribly popular. It's an HBO series called uh, Deadwood. Which is spectacular. It's Shakespearean. It is really wow. fabulous. Well, that a is a recommendation. Off because <laughs> the language is quite foul in it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think the writer was trying to make a point of what a lawless society would be like. So he he took this western and in, and injected into it uh, a lot of very uh, uh, crude language. But after a while, you don't you don't pay attention to that anymore. It just becomes part of the of the landscape, and that's really. A, an incredible show. 
Well, Barney, we're almost out of time. Um, it, it's been. I should stop talking about Deadwood. It's, it's stop talking <laughs> and other people's work. There was there was one question that I that uh, I've always wanted an answer to really uh, around Cagney and Lacey, and that is it was it's back to the issue of I suppose heroes being tarnished a little bit and and, and allowing you know those heroes to be tarnished. Do you think right. that the fact that Cagney and Lacey were women uh, permitted that? Like, do you think you could have ever had a male hero who could have gone through what they went through and still? maintained that heroic stance in the show. Do you think that could have happened? Could that's, that's MacGyver great, have got cancer? That's cancelled? a great question. That's a great question. You'd like to think so. And and I'd have to I'd have to uh I'd have to uh, look back and I think I think there are of course the anti hero, uh the classic anti hero had his flaws, whether you go back all the way to Casablanca or to uh uh to uh the early the early work of uh of people like Steve that Steve McQueen did. They were all flawed individuals. But in television we didn't allow that so much, um, and I think it might have been harder, because I think men, uh, especially male actors, uh, have a kind of vanity and a kind of a perception of who they are and who they, what they play. I mean, John Wayne, you know, it, it was a scandal when, when when John Wayne died in a movie. I mean, he, I think he died in two in his life, uh, in, 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 in the latter part of his uh, career when he was already when he was a superstar. It was it was amazing. Who, the idea that John Wayne could be defeated, you know, was really uh, 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 an amazing thing. So I think it, in many ways it would have been more difficult to do it with a man. Yes, I agree with you. But well, I would have to do a lot of, there's a lot of research you could do on that subject. That's it. You could, people could maybe have written books about that sort of thing. Well, Thank you so much for the. I'm so sorry that this 33 minutes has absolutely flown. <laughs> I had pages of questions, <laughs> well, but um, the thank you so much for my pleasure. There's nothing I'd rather talk about, you know, than uh, than my, that show. And, and and I always used to say I'd rather talk about it than make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're actually people buy buy Cagney and Lacey and me because my God, you went through hell. <laughs> absolute. <laughs> Please read hell. the book. Yeah, I did, uh, out there, all those listening to the show because I it is a good book. I think and I. And I a lot of blood under the bridge. Thank you very much for Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> That's all well, that remains to be Thank you very much for this opportunity to talk about it. The religion of the television producer has always preached one primary doctrine. Make 125 episodes of anything reasonably close to the license fee and you may spend the rest of your days, should you so desire, floating aboard your own yacht on the Aegean. I didn't get the boat. The promised dollars weren't there. The TV producer's religion, however, isn't always about money. After all is said, done, and dealt with, regardless of the changes of rules by governments, the lawsuits, the wrecked marriages, the greed, stupidity, and downright dishonesty by former partners and self-proclaimed allies, the perceived unfairness of the system, there is one undeniable truth. Had God all those years ago visited my office and said, Barney Rosenzweig, there will be a television series. It will be called Cagney and Lacey, and you will make that show. It will be canceled, and you will save it more than once, and everyone will know it was you who did so. The network will tell the New York Times and the world that it has made a mistake and that you, Barney, were right and they were wrong. Your peers will honor you. There will be Emmys, Golden Globes, and many other honors. You will be celebrated by your university, your community, and your industry. 
Women's groups throughout the nation will name you their Man of the Year. You and your show will be written of in virtually every television history book for the remainder of the millennium. But there will be no money. I would have filled the briefest moment of silence following all of that with one simple question. God, where do I sign? Amazing guy. He's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like such um he just believed in it so much, didn't he? Just like so much passion, and, like yeah. That. I'd yeah. also like to point out that he said I ask you the right question. <laughs> You like didn't even hear a word he said after that. <laughs> no, like, I was just put like, your legs up on the desk. And I'm like... done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> We're completely finished. I don't need. To, I don't need to prove myself anymore. Why should I? <laughs> Barney said I asked a great question. <laughs> yes, so the rest of you can go to hell. <laughs> the eighties doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was a very different time, and I wanted to find some little nugget that would really prove that. And I think this next clip of Tyne Daly answering a question about the research she did on breast cancer really does that. Research. Hmm. Um, I have to think, it's a long time ago. Uh, um, I had played a cancer victim on a Quincy and I did quite a bit of research then. Um, I went to UCLA to their cancer thing. Um, and found out interesting things like um, about uh, over 80% of men whose wives had breast cancer had left them or divorced them while they were under treatment in those days. It was so scary. I don't know whether how much research there was while we were doing it. The work happens awfully fast. My sister suffered from breast cancer uh, and went public with it because at that time we were trying to help each other to not feel alone, to not feel like the only one, and to not be scared. So it was a service in some way that we were doing, although I had signed on to do Cagney and Lacey to play the hero, not the victim. And when, and when we played out these victim ones, they were never my favorites. Of course, they were big prize winners uh, <laughs> because the public loves to see women suffer and always has. Uh, um, I don't know if I can honestly answer that question in terms of research, uh, experiential research more than anything. And I read those all those stinking brochures, uh, you know, uh, which are as chilly as they come. And as so when you internalize that, you know, uh, it's it's your imagination that takes over more than anything. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Eighty percent. Yeah. I, oh what I thought was staggering about that was that there was so much that people didn't know and that they mm. were getting it through TV shows because people were so hungry for it. Yeah, like, but it's, it's so hard to imagine. I mean, because obviously, like, I was only born in 81, so, like, I, did, I don't... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. Oh, my God. So, okay, so there was all that medical, actual, useful medical information you yeah. could get. Um, but as well, what you said about you see your own experience being reflected back to you it's a very powerful thing you know yeah and it's very you know it's such a valid way like i mean i think the same about in a different way maybe but like about girls that the lena dunham's tv show now like it's had such a massive reaction from women because they're like oh that's like me like that's something yeah. that i go through and that's something that i and i've never seen it before like i've never seen it on a screen before so it must have been so powerful back then. Even today, watching them, as well as their colleagues and partners, but there's it's just a strong female friendship. And yeah. that's <laughs> rarer than, than it should be on TV and in films. Like, it's yeah. two women... 
that are friends like they're from different backgrounds and like you know all that stuff obviously. yeah all the different side of the tracks 80s stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> but like fundamentally they're like two women who get on really well and who and respect you, each other why do you think that was so rare Oh, I don't know, a sexism, I suppose, and misogyny, you know, because obviously there was, there's always been strong female friendships. Yeah. I don't <laughs> so, think so. Why then? <laughs> why we don't see more of it? That. I mean, I don't know. It's it's very simplistic to say like sex and misogyny. I mean, I don't. There's like you know, there's there's millions of reasons, like cultural and social reasons, I suppose, but. I mean, like, it was a huge ratings hit as well. Like, so they were rewarded for their, you know... For being so progressive. That's just blown me away about the breast cancer. Yeah, I was I was so shocked by that. They were almost providing a public service, like... I think, you know the way if you look at a 90s TV show or a TV show now, they, you know, things like Breaking Bad and The Wire, there's, like, there's themes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we go through cycles, but Cagney and Lacey doesn't seem like this. it was in the cycle for the 80s. Yeah. Tyne Daly was asked about what she thought about Sharon Gless coming on board and I thought she summed it up very well when she said, uh, she said, darling, this was the 80s. I was just happy I wasn't working with a talking car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing. The actors themselves, like you could, Tyne Daly especially, I suppose, like her her sense of humour and her intellect, like they come through in the character, you yeah. know? Like yeah. she was, she's she was and is like obviously a brilliant actor, but she's also like very funny and really quite ballsy, you know, yeah, as she's, a, she's as really a person like, and yeah. And this was the, the thing about her that is so obvious is the fact that she doesn't talk like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Like that she just put that voice on amazing. for all those years. Yeah, amazing. And not, yeah. not a lot of people know that you're actually from Dublin 4. <laughs> <laughs> it's uncanny. I just find this this quirk accent is charming. So they, people just really warm. <laughs> it's people's county. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm from Black Rock, so. <laughs> <laughs> Making a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> That's an investment banker on the side. Yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'd love to watch it again. There was also like that they weren't very likable. And like, I mean, obviously, because I'm a stand up comedian, sometimes think I'm a woman. I, I, you know, it's important to me to be liked. But like there was so much about their characters that they just didn't give it. Like they didn't care yeah. if people liked them or not. Like obviously yeah. that's because in the roles they were like police officers. So that's not. But still, it's it's really good to see that. It was good for me to see that like as a teenage girl watching this, just like, oh, women, they don't they don't care that they're offending this man in that room or they don't care that they're making mistakes or going yeah. for it or whatever it is they're just doing their job and like they're also like kind of having a laugh with it. Yeah. You know, it's cool to see that. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you're so, you're, you're, yeah, it's funny that this is like your favourite show. It's great. <laughs> do you, but you do have uh, like a favourite show. Um, is there anything that really... My so-called life really, you know, the Claire Danes. Um, yes, with Jared Leto. And, yeah, 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 I loved that. And for some of the similar reasons, like she, she, some similar enough reasons, I suppose, in that she was quite independent minded and she was a, you know, female lead. And um, it just struck loads of chords with me, like, I guess, because I was the same age as the character in the show or whatever. Okay. Um, and yeah, like, it's just, it's funny how the... There's such a dearth of those shows, you know, yeah. there's just really not that many. Yeah, they just, the, it was kind of like there was like an introspective couple of years mm-hmm. in the 90s where they did loads of them and then they all just disappeared. Yeah. Now it's all about making meth. Yeah. Well, I'm I mean, I do think Girls is a, I've never heard Lena Dunham discussing, I don't know if she even watched Cagney and Lacey, like I think she's only in her mid 20s. 
but like her show is you know like real like it's just brilliant for feminism I think it's absolutely brilliant for it you know I think if I had to pick a you know like I wouldn't say oh all is lost from Cagney and Lacey like I'd say oh but look at this like this she could be their like brazen daughter or something you know <laughs> Well, all that remains is to thank Carol Smith, Barney's assistant, and Jenny Matz at the Archive of American Television. If you want more from Cagney and Lacey, obviously you can buy the DVDs. However, Barney has organised an offer for big fans of the show, and exclusively through CagneyandLacey.com. If there are any left, you can buy a limited edition box set of the entire series, including the lost episodes, the pilot, tons of extras, an audio recording of Barney's book, Cagney, Lacey and Me, and also a signed photograph of Sharon Gless and Time Daily. Which is pretty impressive if you're a big fan. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on Facebook or tweet about it or even send me a message on garodacarodferrily.com. I'll write back, I promise. There'll be a new episode soon. See ya! Well, that's all until next time. Thanks to my brilliant guests, Maeve Higgins and Bernie Rosenzweig. Thanks to them, I barely had to say a word, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You just wrote a book uh, called, um, I... <laughs> Mein Kampf. <laughs> it's called Mein Kampf. <laughs> I'm going to chop that up. <laughs> I just better record You're going to cut out my voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to make you take the words and just make you say whatever I yeah. want. You are handsome, Garrod. <laughs> Free Kids Workshops are back in stores at the Home Depot. On the first Saturday of every month, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., bring your little ones to a local Home Depot for a hands-on learning experience that kids love. Find more kid-friendly projects and kids' workshop kits at homedepot.com kids. For 25 years, the Home Depot has been building confident, future doers with its Free Kids Workshops. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Wasp last, U.S. only.